what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Everybody, 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 you are listening to The Bounce. As always, folks, this is episode 71. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host, L'Oreal. How you doing, L'Oreal? I'm doing good, Jabari. I'm calling semifinals, the NBA playoffs, WNBA season about to start this week. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about that. Yeah, you know, we have baseball season as well, you know, you know, doing good things around here, you know, as I sip on my, you know, my water right now, <laughs> just sipping on that good water. And, you know, it was raining all day, but, you know, we're, we're inside, so it doesn't matter. So let's get the show on the road. So the first round of the playoffs is over with. You had 16 teams and now there is eight teams now. And we start off the second round of the playoffs with the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks, they were able to beat the Celtics 101 to 89 without Giannis even having a good shooting performance, by the way. I mean, Giannis, he had 24 points, 12 assists, 13 rebounds. Although he had five turnovers and he was nine for 25, he still found ways to impact the game. That means that game two is set for Boston. And this is a must win for the Boston Celtics. Can the Celtics afford going down 0-2 against the Milwaukee Bucks? Absolutely not. The Celtics can afford to go 0-2 against the Bucs because looking at this Milwaukee's Buck team, unlike the Brooklyn Nets, we're seeing the role players and Giannis play at a much better level and playing very well against this very good defensive Boston Celtics team. And with Giannis, his bag is just much bigger and deeper. We know that he can be dominant. We know that when you give him the rock, he can take over at any given time. But there's going to be a little bit of a challenge against this Boston Celtics team because all of those guys throughout the positions can play good offense and defense. And when you think about a guy like Giannis, Boston is going to try as much as they can to at least limit Giannis, especially in the paint. And we can see that kind of constituting him shooting 9 of 24, not having the best shooting night. But what's very important for Giannis is that It doesn't matter if he scores 30 or 40 points. It matters what you do for yourself and what you do for your team. And there was a lot of good looks where it would look like Giannis might go to the hole, might, you know, put up a layup. But what Giannis can do is he can trick Boston to thinking he's going to make a shot. But really, he's passing it to Bobby Porters. He's passing it to Brooke Lopez. He's passing it to Drew Holiday. And what he's doing is he's getting people involved. And just as good and dominant as a player Giannis is offensively with that bag, he is just as good when it comes to distributing and facilitating the ball. And against Boston, Boston is really going to have to figure out how can they really stop Giannis more so of him helping other guys as opposed to really stopping him. So you see that. You also see other guys contributing. I think that Bobby Porter is going to be very important in the series because now that you look at Chris Milton being out for the rest of the series, who is going to be that guy that can put up shots, that can help generate the offense besides Drew Holiday and Giannis? Brooke Lopez can do that as well as others, but Bobby Portis, he has really improved on filling in that role. And that's exactly what he did in game one. A lot of shots he was able to get Boston and have no answer for him, whether it be him going to the hole or making threes. He was making the shots that he had to make. And even though Giannis was struggling because of Bobby Porter's contributions offensively, it really helped Milwaukee down the stretch when it was looking like that they were struggling. Drew Holiday, too, he was in his bag. He was putting up threes. He was really going toe-to-toe with a lot of the guys defensively and beating them. So at Boston, they have to understand that Milwaukee is different. Milwaukee has guys 
who can play them toe-to-toe, head-to-head. And like I said, it's going to be much more than trying to limit Giannis. You have to figure out how to stop the entire team because what Milwaukee is doing is that, yeah, you can, you may think you can stop our best guy in the world, but guess what? We have other guys that are just as good and that can do great contribution as well. So that's the biggest thing with Boston is that how are you going to be able to stop the Milwaukee Bucks overall? Because what Milwaukee is doing as well is that they're pretty much playing Boston's game. They're playing Boston's game defensively where you see Boston, they really had to force a lot of shots. You didn't really see that in the first series because of the lack of the fact that Brooklyn didn't have that much defense. Boston was able to do a lot of things on them, whether it be Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, who was looking good now that he's came back, um, Jalen Brown, et cetera, et cetera. But now against this Milwaukee team, they're putting the clamps on Boston. So now Boston is having much more pressure than last time trying to make shots, trying to generate the offense that we know that they can. So coming game two, Boston had to change some things. They have to reevaluate how they want to go about trying to take on Giannis. They have to reevaluate how to take on Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday. And they have to reevaluate their offensive and defensive schemes because you can't do the same thing with this Milwaukee Bucks team. They know how to adapt. So for Boston, if they want to avoid being 0-2, they have to be able to adapt because the Milwaukee Bucks can come even harder at them than what they did in game one. And I don't think Boston want any of that. If you are the Boston Celtics, there's no way in hell that you can win this series if you are down 0-2. Granted, let's be real right now. The Boston Celtics were the number two seed and the Bucs are the number three seed. Granted, the Bucs do not have Chris Melton. And I think that is a huge factor why I believe that the Bucs will lose this series and the Celtics will win this series. If the Celtics lose game two, like they lost game one, then there's no way they're going to win this series. And here's the reason why. You have to win the next win four out of the next five games. I just don't see that happening. Like when you think about this, you lose home court advantage. Now you have to say, dang, I have to win. I got to win more than one game in Milwaukee. And do I really see the Celtics winning two, at least two games in Milwaukee? I don't see that happening. So I think that's going to be difficult if you are the Boston Celtics. Not only that, let's also say this. The Boston Celtics in game in game one, the reason why they lost this game was, one, they didn't take care of the ball. Jalen Brown, he had seven turnovers. Jason Tatum, he had three turnovers. Marcus Smart, he also had three turnovers. That's not going to get it done. You need to take care of the ball, that's number one. Number two, Jason Tatum, you went six for 18. Jalen Brown, you went four for 13. And Marcus Smart, you went three for 11. These guys did not shoot well from the field. And, and this team did not get to the basket as much. They didn't get to the paint as much. They shot 53s. They only made 18 of them. Now, of course, they made, you know, they shot 36%. That's cool and all. But for the Celtics, 53s doesn't no- normally happen. So if you're a Celtics, you <laughs> I'm not saying that they sh- that they can't make them, but 53s is a lot. I don't think that they need to put themselves in a situation. Th- they should never put themselves in a situation where they're going for 53s. I don't want everyone to see that happen. They need to attack the basket. They need to go at Brooke Lopez, go at Bobby Portis, go at Giannis. They need to find a ways how to get points in the paint. That's what they really need to do. Payne Pritchard also needs to step up. Al Horford needs to step up. If you are the Boston Celtics, you have no choice but to play better offensively. They shot 33% from the field. Like 33%. Now, Grant, Grant the Bucs are an excellent team. The Bucs are a good defensive team. And we're going to give credit. They have improved in the playoffs, although they went against Chicago in the first round. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too big on that. But anyway, the Boston Celtics, 
they have to play better offensively because defensively they did a good job. I mean, look, the Bucks shot 41% for the field. I mean, I, 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 that's pretty good. So if you're the Celtics, not only do you have to contain Giannis, I don't think that you need to be so quick to double team him because he's easy, easy going to think, oh, let me pass it to Drew Holiday. Let me pass it to my guy, uh, Grayson Allen, who had, who had 11 points in the game. Uh, uh, Pat Connaughton. Uh, who, who else was up? Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez. These are things that the Celtics need to be careful about. I would rather have Giannis get his numbers going one-on-one than getting his numbers go, just double-team because there's other ways that he can impact in the game, assists, rebounds, and defense. So if you are the Celtics, you need to be better offensively and still do your thing defensively. That's what they need to do. Find other ways how to get buckets, like get to the basket, like hit main range shots. Stop settling for threes because they were a jump-shooting team. So for the Bucs, um, it's going to be interesting to see what, what can happen because they are a good team, e- even though they don't have Chris Milton. But for the Celtics, hopefully that Marcus Smart can play because he is questionable because he has a, I believe he has a bad quad contusion. So hopefully that he can play. But even if Marcus Smart is, listen, even though he's limited or he cannot play, the Celtics need game two because if they lose game two, whew, it's going to be some problems for the Celtics. Like, like Kevin Durant said, it's going to be problems for themselves, for the Celtics. And the difference, difference between the Bucs and the Celtics, well, the difference between the Bucs and the Nets, here's the difference why. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving didn't show up. Giannis found ways how to show up. Giannis found ways that I don't need to just score to be effective. I could do passing, rebounding, and defense. Kyrie and KD wasn't like that. So that's something that the, that the Celtics have to counter in game two. So for our next playoff matchup, we got the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Miami Heat in the Eastern semifinals. And look, they already played game one, and that was without Joel and B because he also suffered a fracture. What was it? A right orbital fracture. Oh, my God. If it's right to the face right there because he got elbowed by Pascal Siakam game six of the first round. And it's unfortunate the last series because, you know, the 76ers, I mean, one thing you don't want to happen is someone getting hurt. And Joel Embiid, Lord have mercy. He was already hurt with his with a torn ligament in his right thumb. So it's unfortunate. So what we listen, we will see if he if if, if he is able to play at least game three and game four, because he's not playing game two. But anyway, the Heat are up in this series. And look, the 76ers once again are going to play without Julian B in game two. What chance do the 76ers have in winning a game without MB? I give the 76ers a very little chance to win a game without Joel Embiid in the series because he is the most important player on the 76ers team. When you think about what he does offensively, you know, he contributes a great amount. And then when you think about what he does defensively and how he can really go against guys like a Jimmy Butler and a Bam if he were to be in the series, I think that is what the 76ers are definitely missing. And that was very evident in game one. Now, game one, they was able to creep up on Miami for a little bit because James Harden was doing well. Tyrese Maxey, of course, now that when you give him the full floor, he can give you a great shooting game, a great night. But you saw later down the stretch how Miami defensively, they was able to stop Philadelphia. And then once they was able to stop them defensively, now, offensively, you just see Bam making up shots, and then you see Tyler Hero come up very big for the Miami Heat to seal this game one win. So when you think about the 76ers, yes, you still have James Harden, you have Tyrese Maxey, you also have Tobias Harris as well, but unfortunately, that's just not going to be enough 
for this team because when you think about the 76ers, the true heart of the 76ers is Joel Embiid. He has been that for the past couple of years. And even if he does be injury prone a lot, you, you can't just sit up there and say that Philadelphia is going to be just fine without Joel Embiid. And James Harden, we need him to step up. This is the opportunity now. Now you're going to be playing with potentially not having Joel Embiid maybe for this entire series. And this is a really big series against this Miami Heat team that is not playing. So for James Harden, we need you to step up. We need you to take more initiative, make better decisions, make better shots, take those shots. The, the floor is open for you to do whatever you need to do. And as if you're James Harden, you need to put your you need to put the team on your back. That's what we expect you to do. You did the same thing in Houston. You did the same thing to some degree in Brooklyn, especially when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant was out. So you should do the same exact thing for the 76ers. And if I don't think that he could do that, then I think that Philly is going to be in deep, deep trouble, especially not having Joel Embiid. And just because of the fact that they don't have him, I just don't see this team trying to get a win against this Miami Heat team. If you ask me, can they win a playoff game without Joel Embiid in this series? I would say, yeah, it's it's possible because game one, they had a chance. I mean, they were up by one by halftime. But when they brought back DeAndre Jordan, because I don't know why the hell DeAndre Jordan is playing. This man had played 17 minutes, only gave you four points, and what, gave you like two or three rebounds? Like, this man was not impactful. He was basically a dead vegetable. This man hasn't been relevant since the Clipper days, all right? So I don't know why he's with the 76ers in the first place. Like, seriously. But any, anyway, the 76ers, they could have won this game. They could have won this game. I mean, they had a shot. And the, and the Heat, the, listen, they were okay. But if it wasn't for Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, they probably would have lost this game. Because J- J- Jimmy Butler, he had 15 points, 6 for 15 shooting. Hero and Bam were the, were, were the reason why they won this game. For the 76ers, even though you don't have him beat in Miami right now, Tobias Harris, he gave you 27 points. He had a great game. Uh, Maxi, even though he gave you 19 points, I think that, listen, I think he'd give you more than 19 points. He's six for 15. He could do a little bit better. But the main person who needs to step up for them to win a game in Miami is James Harden. James Harden, look, look at this right now. Let's look at his stat line right here. He went five for 13, two for seven, seven for the three-point line, 16 points, five assists, and nine rebounds. What, what, what is that? Five turnovers. What, what is that? Everybody's all saying, well, we, we need the Houston James Harden. I'm sorry. That left. I mean, it's, it said there was a report that says that he hasn't, like, it's been like, how many games has this man not scored more than, what, 25 points? It's been 11 straight games where he hasn't scored, where he scored less than 25 points. That's that's taken back to his OKC days. And I said, well, he need to come off the bench like OKC then if he's going to play like that. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> but, so, look. It's amazing to me. Would Embiid out because he's hurt right now? You need Harden to step up. I mean, obviously, Maxi needs to step up. You need to get someone else who can play the five because they ain't DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan. And their bench needs to deliver. But James yes. Harden, games like this, Harden needs to show why he left Brooklyn so he can actually play with players who can play and deliver. Because, look, James Harden, I don't care. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's he's out of shape. I don't know if it's the the worst hamstring injury. I don't know what it is. And I don't really care at this point. James Harden is not who you saw, not only in Houston, but not who you saw in Brooklyn. If you ask, you know, when it be out, can James Harden give you one game? One game? Well, I mean, listen, James Harden before this season was a top 10 player. I think right now we could say what? Top 20, maybe top 25. 
can he at least get one game against the Miami Heat? Should James Harden be the best player on the floor? Yes. Come on, let's be real. Yes, there is no reason. I mean, unless you don't trust the 76ers and Doc Rivers, there is no reason why the 76ers should not win at least one game without Joel Embiid. They need Joel Embiid for game three, game four. Well, they need him for the rest of the series after they leave Miami. Because if the 76ers, if Embiid was not here, I would say they have no shot to win the series. Like, they have no shot. Because you can tell with Embiid, Bam Bow has to worry about him. Like, he will find every mismatch to get his. Joel Embiid, he, he's a guaranteed, like, 20 and 10 guy immediately. Like, it's, it's like he can do that, or like, off his, like, in his sleep. It doesn't matter. 20 and 10 in his sleep. But when you don't have him, that is when you need James Harden to do what he has to do, win a game. And it's kind of interesting. Imagine if they didn't make this trade to get James Harden. Oh, boy, that would have that would have been a, a cluster. You know what? If he if he wasn't traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. But I don't think this is a must win for the 76ers to win game two. However, I do believe they need to find ways how to win game two so they can stay in the same level with the Miami Heat just in case when Joe and B plays. Because, you know, when Joe and B plays, now is a fair matchup. And even though Kyle Lowry didn't play for Miami in the, the last game, what you do need is the 76ers to show we can win a game. And when B comes back, we have a legit shot at winning this series and head to the conference final. So it, it's, on, it's on James Harden, Tobias Harris, and Doc Rivers to show up. So let's head to the Western Conference. The Phoenix Suns beat the Dallas Mavericks in game one of the Western semifinals, despite Luka Doncic having a great performance, 45 points, eight assists, and 12 rebounds. It wasn't enough to beat the Phoenix Suns because Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Aiden were combined for 67 points, and they won in a seven-point game. Is there any shot for the Dallas Mavericks to win this series? I think the Dallas Mavericks have a shot, and I do believe that they just need to see they just need to recognize who their team is. We know that Luca; he will always get his. He did the same exact thing when he came back in that Utah series. When he came back, he came rolling, and him and the team were to beat Utah and to be in this position. But I'm looking for more contributions from a Jalen Brunson. I think he did amazing the first series. He definitely delivered when Luca wasn't there, and then when Luca came back, he was able to contribute in the same exact way just a little bit of a smaller margin. But Jalen Brunson, I think he's talented. He can score. He can defend. I think he can go against this Phoenix Suns team. We need to see more from him. I need to see more from Spencer Dinwiddie. And I think that when you see, and like I said before, with Phoenix, with or without Devin Booker, as long as your big three all perform well, then Phoenix will be fine. I think that we can say the same thing for Dallas. If Luka plays well and you get a great contribution from Jalen Brunson as well as Spencer Dinwiddie on the offensive end, especially against this Phoenix team, I think that Dallas will be just fine, and that's all they need. But for Dallas, you don't want to put too much pressure on Luka because Luka, as hot as he can be, we have seen sometimes where he can kind of get burned out sometimes because he has to do a lot for the Dallas Mavericks all the time. So for Dallas, if you get Jalen Brunson in, you get Spencer Dinwiddie into the system. These Those guys perform well with Luka. I think Dallas will be just fine. Do I think that they will win the series? No, I'm still picking Phoenix because I think they're the better team. But I think Dallas can still make this series a six, seven-game series if they can get the other guys to contribute just as much as Luka. 
Look, I understand that the Dallas Mavericks, they beat the Utah Jazz in the first round. It was Luka's first playoff series victory. Shout out to him. But the Mavericks have no shot to win this series. I, I give them, <laughs> like, seriously, I mean, I'm just, I'm just coming off from a cold last week. I'm just going to say this right now. It's, it was so cold that, <laughs> I mean, it was probably worse than, than the Dallas Mavericks last night because they had no shot of winning that game either. But I'm going to say this right now. There is no chance that the Mavericks can beat the Suns. No chance not whatsoever. Here's, here's the reason why. The Dallas Mavericks, it, it didn't matter if the Suns were up by 17, 18, 19. I don't care how many points they were. They were up by double digits in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the Mavericks made a little run and whatnot, but the Suns, they had that game under control. And when you have Chris Paul performing well, DeAndre Aiden performed well. And DeAndre Aiden could put could give you buckets. He's a center that, that Dwight Powell has to worry about, that uh, Max Caliber had to worry about, and any other big that they have, they have to worry about their bigs. Aiden, McGee, and Biggs Mappiambo. Those When those guys come through in this game or in this series and make an impact, that's going to be a problem for the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic, having him to scoring 40 points or 45 points is not enough. Dylan Brunson, although he did not have a good game, he got in foul trouble and whatnot, six for 16, he only gave you 13 points. That's not enough for the Dallas Mavericks if you want to win this game. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, he gave you 15 points. They shot well from the three-point line. They shot 47% from the field. But outside of that, it didn't matter because Suns, once again, shot at least 50% from the field. If you can't get stops, if you cannot make sure that they are go, if they are scoring under 50%, then there's no way how you're going to beat this team unless the Dallas Mavericks are shooting uh, over or at least 50% for the field as well. Here's the thing about the Dallas Mavericks. Who else are – who outside of Luka is going to outplay one of these stars in Phoenix? Who's gonna, who is Dallas' number two guy? Now, you can say Jalen Brunson, right? But Jalen Brunson is not enough to overpower the Phoenix Suns because the Phoenix Suns are deep. They're just a clearly a better team. Not only that, let's, let's keep it real about the Phoenix Suns because a lot of people want to talk about this, about how the Mavs can beat the Suns. L'Oreal, when was the last time the Mavericks beat the Phoenix Suns? Probably mm, uh, had to be a while for sure. Yeah, wow. Like how, <laughs> how, how long do you think it was? Do you think it was this year? No. Do you think it was last year? No. It had to be probably at least three seasons ago. Uh, three, the, last time they, the last time the Dallas Mavericks beat the Phoenix Suns was November 29th, 2019. That mm. was the last time. Since Luka Doncic has came to the NBA, he is 3-12 and 12 against the Phoenix Suns. 3-12. and 12. And you mean to tell me a guy who hasn't beat the Suns since November 29th, 2019, he's going to beat the Suns? And let, 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 let that be known. He hasn't even beat the Suns with Chris Paul yet. Not yet. And y'all mean to tell me they got a shot? Look, this series right here, at best, is going to five games. Five games. This is going to be a gentleman's sweep. I'll be shocked if this series goes to seven. I definitely will be shocked if it goes to seven games. If it goes to six games, it, it will only have to be because Devin Booker and Chris Ball get, get hurt. It's not because that the Mavericks can get two. I don't think the Mavericks are capable of getting two games unless CP3 and Devin Booker gets hurt. Seriously, I, I just don't. Listen, shout out to the Mavericks. Good season. But they clearly need another star on this team because Luka Doncic is not enough. And Luka, I don't know if everyone expected him to be this next LeBron James, but I'm sorry. He is not doing anything that LeBron James did in the Eastern Conference. He is not leading this team to the NBA Finals, not with this team, not, not because of him solely by himself. Luka Doncic is not enough for this team to get to the NBA Finals. So I'm going to say that right now. 
It's going to be the sun. Look, this is gonna, this series is over. It's going to be the Suns in five, period. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about, you know, what they're going to do in the Western Conference Finals. Because right now, I ain't worried about a damn thing about the Dallas Mavericks right now. So great season. They did a good job. Won their first playoff series since 2011. Shout out to Jason Kidd. But the series is over. All right, let's go to our next topic because the Dallas Mavericks are done. Anyway, brothers and sisters, the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, your boy John Moran, by the way, and the Warriors, they stole game one against the Memphis Grizzlies, despite Draymond being ejected for a flagrant foul two. And let's be real, he deserves to get ejected after that mess he just did. He talking about, I don't deserve that. It should have been a a flagrant one. No, it was a flagrant foul two. Stop it. It should not be a flagrant foul one. Anyway, the Grizzlies, they lost when John Moran missed the potential game-winning layup on the last play. Unfortunately, the Warriors are up 1-0 in this series. Should the Grizzlies be encouraged or discouraged? I think Memphis should be encouraged because when you really look at game one, yes, John Moran, he didn't make that layup. and You could just tell how hurt he was after realizing how he missed that. And yes, Memphis... They should have been able to contain a little bit more of that game because you didn't notice that in the second half, Memphis started to change something. They started to get better defensively. They started to, by using the opportunity that Golden State pretty much gave them at some point because of their lack of defense, they was able to take over. And I think that not only John Morant was important and will be important, we need to look at Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr., the first series, he, he did do the best that he could, but, of course, he was faced with situations like far, facing Carl Anthony Towns and just a better front court overall in Minnesota that was able to get in, into Jaron Jackson's head a little bit. This time around, I think Jaron Jackson will be more okay because while Golden State is still a good defensive team, I don't think that, you know, all of those guys will stop Jaron Jackson. He had a great game in the series. He had 30-plus points. He was making threes. He was making blocks. This is the Jaron Jackson Jr. that we know him to be. And I think that if he played consistently as well as John Morant, then Memphis will be just fine. And that's really all Memphis had to focus on. Memphis, John Morant, we get it. He is the heart and soul of this team. I agree, just like with Kendrick Perkins and everyone else. John Morant, you need him to play. You need him to be 100% all on deck for this team because sadly, as deep as this team is, John Morant is your biggest producer. But at the same time, Memphis is still deep enough to where they have guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, Zaire Williams, even Tyus Jones, where if John Morant was in and out of the lineup or if you play more of the role players, Memphis can still contain themselves in games and they can contain themselves against the Golden State Warriors because of how deep they are and how they can play defensively and offensively. So if I was Memphis, I wouldn't be discouraged by this at all. I, you know, I, I get being discouraged because, yes, you lost. You lost by one point. If John just made that layup, everything would have been just fine because Memphis was already on the road to win the game. But at the same time, I wouldn't be discouraged because you got the deep team. John Morant's playing the high level. Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing at the high level. And I think even if Golden State is more experienced or better, Memphis can still get to Golden State because as long as they can match their intensity even more, then that's all they have to do. Because notice in that last play, especially with John Morant, who was defending him? 
Clay Thompson. And what do we talk about Clay Thompson? Being a great defender. Not only that, Gary Payton was also on him. And then throughout that second half, Golden State decided to pick up the pace and be more better defensively at Memphis. And Memphis, while as good as they were doing performing, the only reason why they lost and why John missed that layup is because Golden State was able to get them where they needed to be defensively. So for Memphis, if they can just match that energy of Golden State, I think that they'll be fine this series. And I think that they should be encouraged because they are just as good enough as a team to beat the Golden State Warriors. And they just have to be able to beat that system. I think if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you should definitely be discouraged. And here's the reason why. When you found out that Draymond Green was going to be ejected, that was like, wow. So that means that Draymond is out. He only played 17. Listen. Draymond Green, he only played 17 minutes, or what, what, how many, 17, 14, whatever, 17 minutes, six points, five turnovers, three steals, and one block. You know, it is, is what it is. But what Draymond Green gives you impact-wise was definitely crucial for the Warriors. And for them to not have their best defender, it says a lot. Because, first of all, there's no reason why the Memphis Grizzlies should be in a situation where the Warriors outscored the Grizzlies in the paint. The Grizzlies are the best when it comes to scoring in the paint. And the fact that, look, look at this right now. The Warriors had 56 points and points in the paint. The Grizzlies had 44. Really? What's going on right here? And they out-rebound the Grizzlies as well. That is an issue. Desmond Bain had a bad game. Dylan Brooks had a bad game. What really turned around in this game was the third quarter. In the third quarter, the Warriors had 36 points and the Grizzlies had 29 points. With that being said, the Grizzlies still had a chance to win this game. And if it wasn't for Jared Jackson, who had that great performance, I mean, look, Jared Jackson, that probably would be the best playoff performance he would ever have because you ain't never seen that from Jared Jackson. I mean, that was probably, that was his best game. He was shooting all those threes when most likely some of those stuff, so he, went, he should have went to the basket, by the way. But for him to go 33 for 10 and John Morant to go 34, 10, and 9, that all was just a waste, basically. Because this, with no Draymond Green, with everybody on your court, everybody who was making an impact, Brandon Clark or Melton, you needed to win this game. You have game two tonight. You have a chance to redeem yourself. But the Memphis Grizzlies should have won game one. If you if you would have won game one, that puts the pressure on the Warriors because now the Warriors are thinking, damn, we, well, we got to make sure Draymond, Draymond's on check. But also we need to win game two so we don't have to be down 0-2. But now that Memphis lost game one, they have no choice but to win game two. And just like when we talk about the Celtics, if the Grizzlies lose game two, Sears is over for them. The Sears will be over, and that's why they need to bounce back. And here's, here's, here's my thing. That last play, that last play where John Morant was going for the layup, that was like, I mean, what, what was that? That was like a lazy, oh, I'm just going to just lay it up not even go for contact, not even try to drop to the basket like that. I just thought that was pretty lazy down to, down that down to that last play. I thought that it should have been a situation where he should have went to the basket, you know, go for contact, at least get to the foul line or something, like draw a foul. I think that is what you have to do to win this game. Now they have to go to game two, win game two, get the job done because what well, one thing they cannot do, John Morant, four for 11, what the heck are you doing shooting four for 11 for the three-point line? I'm, I, I, I'm question is John Morant is 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 John is he shooting threes like Steph Curry like is he I I don't ever recall John Morant doing shooting threes like he's Steph Curry he need to stop with that nonsense right there he need to get to the basket do what we have to do that makes this team win games 
And Dylan Brooks got to step up. Desmond Bain has definitely has to step up. That wasn't even the Warriors' best game. Klay Thompson didn't even have his best game, and he, and he hit the go-ahead bucket. The go-ahead bucket, he went 0 for 2 at the free, free throw line. Think about that. So if you're the Grizzlies, you better win that game because Jordan Poole, that probably was his best playoff game in the, in the playoffs. Jordan Poole, who had 31 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. You got to respond. The Grizzlies, this is, listen, you ain't going against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They, okay, the, the Timberwolves out there blowing 20-point leads, 28-point leads, 10-point leads, 13-point leads in the fourth quarter. You ain't going against the Timberwolves. You're going against the Warriors, all right? So whatever mistakes that you did against the Timberwolves, you can't do that to the Warriors because they have experience. Curry, Clay, Draymond, Iggy, you have to find ways how to deliver. And that is why game two is important. So that's why I said that they should be discouraged. But they need to find a way how to win game two or it's over. So last week it was the NFL draft. And I, I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of people who were happy. You know, I would say this. The NFL draft is like the, the Super Bowl to everybody. Like everybody's happy. Like, oh, this person got traded. This person got drafted. This person got drafted. Oh, my God. It's, it's a happy day. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the Lions fans were happy, you know, who they drafted. But, you know. It is what it is. But anyway, during the NFL draft last week, there were two trades that happened. And one of them, the first one was A.J. Brown being traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the second trade was Marquise Hollywood Brown being traded to the Arizona Cardinals. And very interesting that this trade actually happened, though, that, uh, you know, Kyle Murray is going to play with his buddy Hollywood Brown. It's kind of interesting that they, that did happen now that we know that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended for six games. And we'll, we'll talk about that later for, you know, because he's suspended for next season. Six games, though. With these trades that did happen, which interesting that it happened during the draft. Which trade do you like better, AJ to the Eagles or Browns to the Cardinals? I love AJ to the Eagles, man. And I think that, number one, you gave Jalen Hurts another big weapon, which I think he's going to be very happy. Number two, when you think about the personal relationship that Jalen Hurts and A.J. Bryant deeply expressed when this trade is going to happen, I mean, that's, this is just going to make this duo even more special because we know Jalen Hurts to be a great class guy, man. He did his thing with Philly last year. The Eagles, they made it to the playoffs. So now he gets another big weapon with A.J. Brown. It's going to be so much magic happening. And then number three, I think that now that you're in the position where Philadelphia, nobody was, you know, a lot of people wasn't really expecting them to do a lot last year, but you made it to the postseason in a great convincing fashion. Now you go into this season, you have Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. You still got that defense. You still got that running game. I'm excited for Philly. I think that really Philly I think Philly are, is in the show-in to win the division. I really do. Because when you add a guy like A.J. Brown, somebody who's talented, somebody who's dominant, somebody who, if you give them to the ball, there's no guarantee. Well, there is a guarantee that he will do what he needs to do and to deliver. That is big for Philly. And for Philly, looking at where they're at right now, going against the commanders, going against um, Dallas Cowboys, you're going against your rivals, you're going against the NFC. This move tells me that Philly, they're ready and they're locked in. 
It seems like they believe in Jalen Hurts. It seems like they believe in the people that they have now. So Philly is looking at the outside in. What can we do to elevate ourselves? You go get an A.J. Brown. That's exactly what you do. So I think getting an A.J. Brown, that just put Philly up even more. Like I said, I see them winning the division. I see them potentially making a couple upsets against these, against these NFC teams. But great job by Philly by getting A.J. Brown because that was a steal right there by that team. Yeah, I really did like this trade for the Eagles. And not only that, because look at this right now. So now if you look at this offensive lineup, Jalen Hurts, who was the quarterback, will have Mike Sanders as his running back, mm-hmm. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas, who will be the tight end. When you look at this right here, I, when I saw this trade, I said, Oh yeah, they're trying. They're trying to win the division. They don't want to they, listen. Forget about being the wild card. They want to. They want to compete for the NFC East division. And even though the Dallas Cowboys will be the favorites, and we and we ain't worried about the 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 Washington football team. What, what they, the Commanders now? Right? I'm I'm sorry. Yes. I, I, okay. <laughs> I, 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 listen, they're all over the place. All right. The Washington, I was about to say the Washington football team, but <laughs> the Washington commanders, I ain't worried about them. And I'm definitely not worried about the New York giants, by the way. I'm definitely not worried about them, but I think that this division right here is between the Eagles and the, and the Cowboys. You, one of them are going to win the division. And I think that now, listen, as long as Jalen Hurst improves, improves himself as a quarterback, improves his throwing, I think this would be a great move. And right now, there's a great chance they can actually win. I, like I said beforehand, the Cowboys will be the favorites. They will be the favorites to win the, the, the NFC East, which is the Cowboys, let's be real. But the Eagles, they have some, something to say about that. And as long as Jalen Hurts do, do what he has to do with his weapons, they'll be just fine. Now, the Cardinals, let's, let's also bring about the Cardinals. I think that the Cardinals should be respected. And although, look, Hollywood Brown, listen, he he's a he's still a decent receiver. He's not yes, he Hopkins. Is. He's not Hopkins without PDs, by the way. But Kyler Murray, look, you still got Connor. You still you got Brown. You got AJ Green, who's who's not like what he was in Cincinnati. And you also have Zach. The Cardinals could still do something in the NFC West. And if if Kyler Murray can be better next season than he was this season and even seasons before. I think the Cardinals can do something. Now, the NFC West is still not a weak division. You still got the 49ers to worry about. The Rams, the, the who are the reigning champs. You still, listen, I'm not really concerned about the Seahawks, but I think that this anytime the Seahawks face any of these teams in the NFC West division, that could be a trap game. So that could be interesting to see right there. So the Cardinals, I believe that with this move right here, which it was kind of like, you know, desperation because they needed another solid receiver for Brown going to the Cardinals. Something can happen. Now, do I believe they're going to have the best record in the NFC? No, I don't believe that's going to, that's going to happen, but I believe that something can happen. But between the Eagles and the Cardinals, we both agree. The Eagles, I think AJ to the Eagles is a better trade than a Ben Browns to the Cardinals. But did you watch the draft last, last week or were you just like, eh? No, I did watch the draft and there's definitely a lot of good moments. Um, Shout out to the Lions. I'm glad we drafted Adrian Hutchinson, yep. a Michigan native, U of M. I'm glad that we drafted him in number two. I'm also very happy at what we're drafted at. And I'm going to just say this about the Lions. Look out for them because I think that when you look at this lineup, considering that we drafted Hutchinson, considering the fact that we got um, Armand Brown, we picked up DJ Chark, I think that our lineup is looking more and more together and more and more collectively better. And we'll just see what happens next year. And hopefully Jared Goff 
He can take those reins and do better. But just look out for the Lions. I think when you look at this lineup, it's looking more and more better and it's coming together and making sense. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to lie. I probably watched like the first hour and then I just <laughs> left it. <laughs> and then I just left it alone. And then I went back to see what happened. And then I heard I heard that uh that Kenneth Walker, you know, who was from who was a running back for the uh whatchamacallit from Michigan State. I was like, oh, he's with the Seahawks. He got drafted in the second round. I told my mom that she said, Oh, okay, that's cool. So look, I'm interested in seeing what does happen, but you know, only time will tell. Only time will tell. We'll see what happens for the Detroit Lions. Uh, hopefully they don't have like they're not like what what were they two and Whatever, like they didn't win two or three yeah, games. Yeah, right? it was bad. Yeah, it was it was bad. Listen, look, I, I don't I don't ever want to see that again. As far as as far as I let's well, I took it back. I think I'm going to see it again. You know, as far as I'm living goes, but I don't want to see that for a long time. I'm just saying. All right, so that was it for our talk about the NFL. So let's go ahead and talk about L'Oreal's review. She has a WNBA review talking about the five players to look out for the 2022 WNBA season. So L'Oreal, take it away. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So as you guys know, May 6th, this Friday, will be the start of the 2022 WNBA season. We know that especially from free agency and last year, this is going to be an even bigger and better season. So let's go ahead and go straight into it because I'm doing something a little bit different. We're going to name the top five, top five WNBA players to look out for for this season. Let's get started. So number five, we have Enrique Ogombawale from the Dallas Wings. So as we know, last year, she won the All-Star MVP. She was also on the second team, and she won the scoring title in 2020. So when you think about the Dallas Wings team, you have her at the forefront. You have Satu Sabali, Isabel Harrison, and lots of others. We're going to be looking at her and for the Dallas Wings team to actually make a push because just like the New York Liberty or the Atlanta Dream, this is a fairly younger team, but still lots of talent. So watch out for Enrique. She might win the scoring title this year, but most definitely she's going to make a major impact for the Wings. Number four, let's go ahead and look at Trinity Carter from the LA Sparks. So remember, Trinity Carter, she was the draft pick for the Atlanta Dream. She played for the past two seasons, and she averaged about 16 points. Not too bad, but of course, with some personal issues and all, she was eventually not a part of that team, but now she's part of the Los Angeles Sparks. This is going to be big for Trinity because we know as a point guard, she's going to be the main point guard playing alongside Liz Cambage. Um, Christy Tolliver. She's going to be playing with Neka Ogumake. And her coach is going to be Derek Fisher. This is going to be a much different environment for her. So very interesting to see what Kennedy can do as a point guard, especially for this rebuilding Sparks team. Let's go ahead to number three, Alina Deladine from the Washington Missions. Yes, EDD. Remember the last time that we fully seen her play was the 2019 season of course the mystics won the championship that year but 2020 she didn't play because of her health issues and of course with the concerns of covid so she decided to opt out in that 2020 bubble and in 2021 she only played about three games and then played for the rest of the season so now that you have alina deladon come back the mystics watch out for the mystics because you have deladon you did lose tina charles but you still have natasha cloud and the new draftee, Shakira Austin for Ole Miss, she might be really big for the Mystics for this front court position. So watch out for how Lena Belladon can help this Mystics team get back to contention this season. 
Number two, Asia Wilson from the Las Vegas Aces. We already know Asia Wilson. She won the MVP in the 2020 bubble season. We know that the Aces, they did reach the finals, but they did lose to the Seattle Storm about two years ago. And they was close to the finals, but they lost to the Mercury in that Western Conference finals before the Mercury went to the finals. So for Asia Wilson, we're looking to see, can she be the MVP we know her to be? We know that, you know, the team is different now without Liz Campbell without a lot of other people and Becky Hammond is not the new coach so definitely Becky Hammond she want to change up some things maybe we can see Asia shooting more threes maybe we can see more of her offensive bag but definitely overall she's going to be the main person still for this Aces team and we just want to see how good she can perform and if she can actually lead her team back to the finals again and for number one I have Liz Cambage so we know Liz Cambage she just got traded from the Los Angeles Sparks from the Aces, we know her to be vocal in the WNBA, but we know her to be a dominant center as well. And it's going to be interesting to see what is she's going to do with the Sparks. Because again, like a lot of other players, this is a new environment for her. She's going to be a much bigger star than what she was in Las Vegas. And definitely we're playing with new teams and a new coach. We're going to see what Liz can do. Can she win the MVP? Can she actually help the Sparks get, you know, past playoff contention and actually compete for a title? That's going to be some of the biggest questions for Liz as well as everybody else on this list. Now, so look out for the schedule. So May 6th through 8th, we have a big weekend for WNBA. May 6th, we have the Fever and the Mystic at 7 o'clock on Facebook. We have the Sparks in the Sky at 8 o'clock NBA TV. Then we have a doubleheader where the Aces and Mercury is going to be at 10 o'clock NBA TV. And then the Lynx and the Storm at 10 o'clock. May 7th, we have the Sun and the Liberty at 6 p.m. at ESPN. Then we have the Atlanta Dream and the Dallas Wings at 8 o'clock on CBS Network. Then on Sunday, we have the Sparks and the Fever at 3 o'clock on Prime Video. Then we have the Mystics and the Minnesota Lynx at 8 o'clock. And then the Seattle Storm and the Las Vegas Aces at 10 o'clock on ESPN2. So for all of you guys to figure out how to watch these games, you can watch it on NBA TV, ESPN, of course. There might be some games on ABC later in the season. You can also watch it on Facebook, WBA League Pass, Prime Video, as well as other outlets. But definitely get ready for the season, y'all. These ladies are going to be locked and loaded. Lots of teams, lots of projections are being changed. And we don't really know who could win them all. It could be a lot of these teams. So definitely look out for these ladies, look out for these teams, and just get excited for another big season of WNBA. All right, thank you for that WNBA review. You know, by the way, since the season is coming up, who do you have winning the the whole thing? Hold it, say that. Who do you have going to the NBA? Who do you have going to the finals? And who do you have winning it all? Uh, um, who's winning to be it quite all? Honest with you, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure because when you look at how a lot of these teams have changed, I mean, look at the Aces. Yeah, you think that maybe just changing their coaching style and getting rid of Liz isn't really a lot, but this team is going to be a lot different because remember, when you had Bill Lambier, it was a straight defensive team with that front court of Liz Cambage and Asia, and then you had other shooters like Kelsey Plum at the time. But this is going to be a lot different. So I think that, honestly, I have to really see probably into the next couple weeks because I think when you look at the Sparks and what they've done, when you look at the Phoenix Mercury and what they've done, when you look at the Chicago Sky and you got Candace Parker back, it could really be anybody. I mean, I think this season is really up to grabs 
based on the talent levels that you see in every single team. Even at the teams where, like the Atlanta Dream, you know, you drafted Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard could actually be a big piece for the Atlanta Dream moving forward this season. They can make it to the postseason. They can make it deep into the postseason. Well, only time will tell. We'll see what happens. Cause I know you will make a prediction about the about who's going to go to the sh- to the chip, you know, pretty soon. But anyway, let's move on real quick. So let's go back to the NFL. We already spoke about this earlier. Well, we kind of referenced it, but we were going to talk about it anyway. So here we go. DeAndre Hopkins um, for the wait, wait, who, who, who he played for for the Arizona Cardinals. He is suspended six games for violating NFL's PD policy. So. He's not going to play the first six games next season, but he will play in week seven. So we'll see what happens. And he did have a response to this. And this is what he said on Twitter. In my 10-year NFL career, I have never tested positive using PEDs. To learn that my November test came back with trace elements of a banned substance, I was confused and shocked. I am very mindful of what I put in my body and have always taken a holistic approach. So I'm working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. But even as careful as I have been, clearly I wasn't careful enough. For that, I apologize to Cardinals fans, my teammates, and the entire Cardinals organization. I never want to let my team down. I fully intend to get to the bottom of this. As soon as I have more information, I will share it. DeAndre Hopkins. So, by the way, let, now let's talk about what he did last season. And probably he was on PED. Well, he was on PEDs, I mean, if you want to be honest. He had eight touchdowns, 572 receptions, well, receiving yards, 42 receptions. Because if I said 572, that would have been a lot. But 42 receptions. It was it was news of the fact that, you know, listen, that he was suspended for PEDs. But it seems like there has been a double standard in sports. I mean, in the NFL, if you hear that someone was tested positive for PEDs or even in the NBA, it seems to not be that big of a deal. But in the Olympics, it's in baseball or what happened to Lance Armstrong when, you know, when he when he was, you know, riding bicycles and whatnot. For some reason, it became a huge deal. L'Oreal, like, let's talk about this. Why is there a double standard in sports when it comes to when it comes to players who take PEDs in different sports? Well, I think the biggest thing is that when you look at sports like the NBA and the NFL, yes, there has been a good amount of cases where players have used PEDs. We have been acknowledged of that and we have been suspended. But I think the biggest reason why there is a double standard is because while there is still existence of PED, you know, substance abuse happening in those sports, it's not really as common, it seems, as when you look at the Olympics and baseball. And yes, you brought it up a couple moments ago, Jabari, that in the 1980s and 90s, the NFL, they seem to have an issue with players using PEDs and multiple players was out here using PEDs. And I'm pretty sure at that time, it probably was a big uproar that, you know, all these players were, well, there was a lot of know, players who, there was a lot of players who were on drugs. There was a lot of players who were on drugs. I mean, crack, I mean, cocaine, it didn't matter. There was a lot of people <laughs> who was on drugs, if you want to be honest. <laughs> it was definitely a whole lot. But I think that when you look at the amount of PED results that you see in the Olympics and baseball, as opposed to NBA in the field, 
it doesn't come close. It just doesn't. It seems like MLB, even players that played for 10 years after the fact that they retired, all of a sudden it's coming out that they use PEDs. And then when you think about the Olympics, maybe the nature of the Olympic Games is probably why more people look upon it. Because when you think about the Olympics, not only do you have to prepare for those moments while you're in the Olympics, you have to prepare for those moments years prior before you go into the Olympics. So just imagine that you spend about two to three years getting yourself together. Or like, for example, when you think about Shakari Richardson, she wasn't, she didn't test positive for PEDs, but she tested positive for using marijuana substances. A lot of people will look at her and say, you know, well, damn, Shakari, you've been practicing for about two to three years before this even happened. Why would you even get yourself in that situation? And I mean, I don't think you could say that about baseball because baseball is just like NFL and, you know, NBA. You have training camp, you have the offseason, you have time to prepare yourself. But I think with the MLB, because and also think about the greats that have tested for PEDs. I mean, think of Barry Bonds. Um, think about other people. So I think that when you think about this double standard, yes, we should be talking about the NBA and the NFL PD substance abuse and use as much as possible because I'm disappointed in DeAndre Hopkins. Um, when DeAndre Aiden, when he was out for about 20 or 30 games because he abused PEDs, I was very disappointed of him because I was thinking a young player, why would you put yourself in that position to jeopardize your career like that? And just for anyone else, that should be the first thing that comes to mind when you're using PEDs or marijuana substances or anything that could jeopardize your athletic career. Why would you put yourself in that position to do that? And for Hopkins, it just don't make sense that he's saying that I'm shocked. You know, it does seem odd that he tested negative in October and December, but he tested positive in November. But still, just like when you think about how marijuana can linger to your system for weeks and even months, even if you think that you, you know, didn't use it as much, this could be the same thing for Hopkins. So whatever he has to figure out, I hope he can figure it out. But if anything, I hope he's disappointed because once again, Arizona is facing more games without DeAndre Hopkins, just like they did last season. And even if he can come back in week seven, remember when Arizona had that very hot start and then they started to fall down. Who knows what can happen if they're without DeAndre Hopkins, especially for the first six games. Yeah, because who knows in that wild card playoffs, they could have used DeAndre Hopkins because they needed they needed his talent right there. They need him to, to be on the field because Kyler Murray was getting exposed. Anyway, let me just say this right now. And you brought about, you know, um, what's his name? DeAndre Aiden, but also John Collins also, also took PDs as well. That's That was another player who took PDs like a few years ago. But I will say this right now. There is a huge double standard. And, and I think that it's ridiculous. And probably because that like, you don't really hear about the big stars. Now, even though DeAndre Hawkins, he's a big star. He's a star. And for him, to, you know, if you heard a lot of stars in NFL that were getting PDs, then it would be a bigger deal. Like, for example, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's keep it 100%. If Tom Brady was taking PEDs in his Ooh. 20 plus year career, how mm. would people react? A lot differently. They would uh-huh. look at Yes. Different. They would look and say that then people will question his great. They'll say, was he really that great? Was he really that great? If you found that Joe Montana to PEDs, if you heard that, you know, Payne Manning to PEDs, and I'm just mentioning just quarterbacks, but <clears throat> we could mention others, Jerry Rice, Ray Lewis. If, if we hear any of uh, Emma Smith or uh, Barry Sanders, if we were hearing these players took PEDs, we will look at them differently because we would say, 
So you didn't use your natural ability just to win games. You didn't use your natural ability to win a championship. I think you do look in the differently, and it is a bit is it is a bit of disappointing. I mean, when track stars, when you find out that track stars are tested positive for PEDs and they want a gold medal, it, you don't you you look at them differently. You kind of it's kind it's shameful. Like you look down upon them, and then and then what? Most of them have to apologize. They got to be in a press conference and say, I apologize for breaking, you know, for breaking the rules. I'm disappointed in myself or whatnot. And it, you just don't look at them the same when you find out that they took PEDs in, in the Olympics. Let's look at for tennis, for example. How would you feel if Naomi Osaka was tested positive for PEDs? It would be absolutely shocking. Exactly. It would be absolutely shocking. And you know what? I believe that it would be worth If Osaka took PEDs, that would be on national television. That would be on the news. The yes. Breaking news, Naomi Osaka, who's supposed to be the future, who's supposed to be the, the baby goat, baby goat of tennis, she took PEDs. That would be a bigger deal. And I don't think she could ever recover if she did took PEDs. With baseball, it's because we heard the news about back then, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark Aguirre, even before uh, Jason Giambe, and other places. There were other places. Uh, there, was, there, uh, there was rumors that allegedly – Roger Clemens did, did took PEDs and other players. And then you have, unfortunately, you have some players who did took PEDs that are in the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. But when you heard that some of the main players that did took PEDs, not only took PEDs, but they broke rec, they were breaking records while, you know, using PEDs, you did look down upon them. And that's the reason why it's been a hard time for people like Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens to be in the Hall of Fame, because even though they, they were break, they broke records. They also, you know, use PEDs. And that's the reason why the meet that why the baseball writers have tried to use them example of making sure that they don't get into the Hall of Fame. Now, will they eventually get to the Hall of Fame by some other way, by a certain committee, by the players committee, um, you know, by the veterans committee, something like that? They'll they'll probably find a way. I, I don't know. But I and I kept that same energy when it comes to baseball, football, basketball, track and field, tennis doesn't matter. If you took PEDs, you should be disqualified and make it to the Hall of Fame. That includes everybody, everybody. And if anybody who's in the Hall of Fame that took PEDs, I believe they should be removed. Now, I don't know if you can do that. I, I think that they probably have this rule that once you're in the Hall of Fame, you can't get out. But I believe you should you should automatically, automatically be removed if you took PEDs because you cheat the game. You didn't use your natural ability. You do something that was a banned substance. And for you to use something that was illegal in sports and you use it to tap to have a, uh, a certain advantage uh, against other teams, against other players, just so you can win games, just so you can break records. I think that you should not be in the Hall of Fame. I think you should be. I think suspension should definitely be right there. Alz Rodriguez, if you look at Alz Rodriguez's resume, his resume shows you that he should be a Hall of Famer. But because he took PEDs, he's not a Hall of Famer. And that's why, to me, um, when you look at DeAndre Hopkins, it's insaneful. And I believe that he should listen. They should shame him. He should be looked down upon. Honestly, and I and I am disappointed because I actually like Hopkins. I yes. don't. I don't dislike the guy, but how, it's like out of any football player, DeAndre Hopkins, really. Yeah. So that's why it's 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 disappointing that Hopkins. It's unfortunate that that's the case. But DeAndre Hopkins needs to be held responsible. He needs to be held account. He needs to be held responsible for his actions. I think six games is not enough. I think he should be suspended for the whole season, if you ask me. The, for, for him, for him to took PDs, yeah, he needs to be suspended for the whole year. But he only got suspended for six games. It is what it is. But I am very disappointed. So 
if they're going to bring that same energy for for baseball players, for the, for the Olympians, for tennis, or I mean, what happened to Lance Armstrong? You know, who's known for for being a bicycle? He got tested positive for PDs, and everyone looks at him different because of it. So, to me, without question, I'm going to keep that same energy. If you took PDs, you should not be in the Hall of Fame, and I think that you should be you should be suspended for one season because you because you did it. So for Hawkins, like he just lucky enough that he only got six games, but right. I'm very disappointed. So, but I, so, but I feel like whoever took PEDs, regardless of what sports it is, we should bring that same energy for every sport. And that includes the NFL and the NBA. So let's go back to the NBA. There were 16 teams that were in the playoffs. Now, eight of them are out. Eight, eight of them are still in because it's the second round now. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about the teams that have been eliminated in the first round. So let's start with this. NBA team season, success, failure, or neutral? Let's get started with number one, the first team, the Brooklyn Nets. Their season, listen, we all know what happened happened to them. They got swept by the Boston Celtics. Their season record was 44 and 38. L'Oreal, let's get started. Season, success, failure, or neutral? I'm going with neutral and here's why. Even though Brooklyn did get swept, I think that when you look at what has happened this season, the fact that Kevin Durant was out for two months, the fact that we didn't even know if Kyrie Irving was even going to really play basketball, let alone be a full-time participant. And I think when you look at other major injuries, like a LaMarcus Aldridge, Joe Harris being out, I think that the Brooklyn Nets team will look much more differently this time around if those things would have been better than last season. I get it, they did get swept, but I think that when you look at everything else that happened prior to that being happening, not saying the Nets should get more grace, but I think that if you had a healthy Joe Harris, I think that if Kevin Durant was healthy throughout the season, I think if Kyrie Irving wasn't playing games and just was playing as a full-time participant, I think that we would have seen a much different turnaround from the Brooklyn Nets. What? <laughs> Wait, what? A f- neutral. All right. The Atlanta Hawks, their season. Listen, they ended their season against the Miami Heat in the first round. Five games. No big deal. Season record, 43 and 39. Season, success, failure, or neutral. Yeah, I would say it's neutral for them as well. Listen, they were not going to get to the conference finals, <clears throat> let, let alone they probably were not going to win a playoff series. So for them to at least, listen, they beat the Hornets and they beat the, the Cavaliers. They got to the playoffs. That was that. Listen, that to me was at least neutral to them. So you know, Trey Young, I, as I told you before, I don't believe he could be the best player on the championship team, but at least be a playoff team. Yeah, that was good enough. So overall, it was neutral. The Chicago Bulls lost in the first round against the Milwaukee Bucks in five games. Their season record was 46-36. L'Oreal, success, failure, neutral. I'm going with success because for Chicago, for them to make a big splash in the offseason. You get DeMar DeRozan, you have DeMar DeRozan, you have Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine and others. I think for you to get to the playoffs for the first time since 2017 or 18, you have proof that DeMar DeRozan is still a star and can be your star for this team. And also I think if they didn't have so many injuries, especially throughout the season with Levine, Caruso, as well as a lot of their young players, I think Chicago would have been a little bit better. But I think the fact that you made it to the playoffs, you did exceed expectations. And I think that now Chicago is in the conversation for teams to look out for the East now. I think that their season is a success. But they better re-sign Zach Levine because they, 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 they do need him. So hopefully that he can get out of you know, health and safety protocols as soon as possible. 
The Denver Nuggets lost to the Golden State Warriors in five games. Their season record was 48 and 34. Remember, they were they were, were out Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. for the entire season. Well, for the majority of the season for you know Michael Porter Jr. But anyway, success, failure, or neutral. You know, I was really going back and forth about this. I was saying because it's not a failure, but I would look at I say success or neutral. I'm gonna say that this was a success. Be- you know, here's the reason why. Because yeah. listen, you didn't have Jamal Murray for the entire season, and you had you didn't have Michael Porter Jr. for for the majority of the season. And the fact that Nikola Jokic, who was still averaging his you know his numbers, and still was able to at least be a playoff team. See, the difference between like a guy like Joker and Curry last season is that at least with Curry, he got his team to at least to be a playing team. Um, Nikola Jokic was able to have this team be a playoff team. The sixth seed, first round going against the Warriors. What do you expect? This this Warriors team was clearly better than the Nuggets team because the Nuggets were hobbled. So to me, I'm going to have to say because of what happened this season, this was a success. New Orleans Pelicans, 36 and 46 was their season record. Lost in the first round against the Phoenix Suns in six games. Success, failure, or neutral? This is definitely a success for the Pelicans. I think the fact that you make it to the playoffs and you was able to beat the Phoenix Suns twice. I think that's very impressive. I love what they're doing by bringing in CJ McCollum. You have him, Brandon Ingram is balling. And I think of the fact that when you think of the possibility of this team looking as good as they are, good big team, and you can get Zion Williamson next season, I think New Orleans Pelicans are gonna be right where they need to be. Shout out to Willie Green as well. He did such a tremendous job as the first year coach for the Pelicans. I'm gonna give them a success. Shout out to Willie Green. He's from the, he's from Detroit, Michigan. So give him credit. And they're gonna have to find a way how to you know what they're gonna do with Zion Williamson because you know if if he's healthy, we gotta see how he fits with this team with CJ, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valchunas, and others. And then we're gonna have to see. Listen, uh, are they gonna give him that mass contract extension? Because <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> the Toronto Raptors ended their season in six games against the 76ers. Their season record was 48 and 39, just like the Pelicans. This was very surprising the fact they were in the playoffs. But anyway, success, failure, or neutral. This was definitely a success. I mean, no one had this team going to the playoffs. I mean, when you thought about could they possibly make it to the plan, it was a possibility. I mean, especially when they were able to come back to Toronto because, you know, because, you know, we're still in a pandemic and you didn't know if if, if, if you could play in Canada yet because, you know, the U.S. and Canada have different rules when it comes to COVID and whatnot. I would definitely say this, this season was definitely a success. For them to be the fifth seed in the East, that's truly amazing to me. And they were able to get two games against the 76ers. And also, you did it without Fred Van Vliet, who, who who was out for the middle of the series. OG was good. Scotty Barnes was good. Well, I mean, he was basically playing with one leg, and he still was giving you effort. Um, who else? Gary Trent Jr., Pascal Siakam. They need a big, man. They need a center. Yes. They need to get somebody. They need a shooter on deck. And also, we're going to have to see what happens in the future. Is Scotty Barnes going to be the next DeMar Rosen and Kawhi Leonard? I mean, that's, that's the real thing, because they need that guy in Toronto. Because right now... They have a they have a bunch of dudes, but they need that guy if they want to compete for an NBA championship like they did, you know, in the you know the last few years and more important. You know, Masaya Jury did a good job to really build this team, like you know, you know, in 2018-19 for a championship. So we'll see if he's able to build that up again with Nick Nurse as their head coach. Because Nick Nurse ain't going to Lakers. But anyway, so let's go to the next one. 
The Utah Jazz surprisingly ended their season the first round against the Dallas Mavericks in six games. Their season record was 49 and 33. They had a better record than anybody who got eliminated in the first round, by the way. Utah Jazz out in the first round. Was this season a success, failure, or neutral? This is going to be a failure for me when it comes to Utah Jazz. Um, I don't know what's going on. It just it doesn't make no sense that you have all this talent, whether it be Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley. This team is so talented, yet it seems that every single time, especially in the first round, something happens. And what's crazy is that this team was the number one seed just a couple years ago. So how do you go from a number one seed to people not really even thinking you could be a threat in the West? So I think for Utah, they have to think about some things. I mean, if you want to get rid of Rudy, if you want to get down to the Mitchell, of course, they're going to be playing that game definitely this offseason. But something has to change because for Utah to be this talented, there's no reason that they keep falling short time after time after time again. Well, you know, they had the number one seed a year ago. Last team who was eliminated in the first round, the Minnesota Timberwolves, finished by the Memphis Grizzlies in six games. Season record was 46 and 36. They were able to be the seventh seed. Success, failure, or neutral? Success indeed, without question, with Anthony Edwards, who is their future, who is their franchise player. And by the way, let me just say that right now. Who, what Anthony Edwards is doing for Minnesota is what people thought that Andrew Wiggins was going to do in Minnesota, you know what I'm saying, when he was with the T-Bulls. <laughs> so let's be real. But Anthony Edwards, he is that guy. But eventually, I was very disappointed what I saw from DeAndre Russell in the in the first round. They need a, I, I think he's probably going to get yeah. traded in the offseason. Carly Towns, I'm going to say this right now. Carly Towns, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, you guys need to stop celebrating early. Okay, all right. Just like you guys were celebrating, like y'all won a championship against the LA Clippers in the play-in. Mm -hmm. Y'all need to stop doing that. Y'all need to stop celebrating so damn early in games when you guys are up by 20 or 13. It don't matter. Especially you, Carlton Towns. St stop that. Okay? The Timberwolves need to find out who is their closer. And then stop shooting these stupid threes, man. Like, get your butt to the mid-range or to the basket and shoot jumpers. Like, shoot mid-range jumpers. Like, I, I just don't understand why you guys saying basket or three. Like... It's, it's just ridiculous to me. But other than that, I would definitely say it was a success. All right, folks, that's it for the Bounce Podcast, episode 71. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Simplecast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and on YouTube, folks. I want you to like, comment, subscribe, download us, folks. I want you to like this, share this to your family members, to your friends, to your associates. We hear every day. Well, we hear every week, by the way. And we'll be looking forward to see what happens in this NBA playoffs with these Listen, we got you'll never know who's gonna be the new head coach for the Lakers, Kings, or the <laughs> Hornets. And be on the lookout for Major League Baseball because listen, we got a game tonight against the San Francisco Giants versus the LA Dodgers, first in the West Division. And shout out to the Yankees and the Mets, though. They are they are the two best teams in the in baseball so far. They have the two best records in Major League Baseball. So it's very interesting. Yankees first in the American League, and the Mets are first in the National League. So New York, New York. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens. Thank you for listening to the Bounce Podcast, episode 71. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host L'Oreal. Peace! Peace.